0: Welcome to Vicious Whispers with Mark Tullius, your source for horror, sci-fi, suspense, and all
1: things violent. Thank you so much for joining me today on Vicious Whispers with Mark Tullius. Today at the end of the episode, I will share two stories from Untold Mayhem. Because I'm in such an awesome mood and you guys are pretty cool people. If you're listening to this, you are. Unless you listen to only a little bit of it and you're like, this guy's a dick, I'm not going to listen to him anymore. Then I'm going to change my definition of what kind of person you are. No, I'm not. You're still going to be a cool person. I got a very negative review today. And my first instinct was to be very, well, I'll get into that in a second. Let's go to these short stories. So I think you have about 30 minutes of short stories today. One is going to be the whole. I decided to do that one because that goes back to probably some of my first worries of, I wrote that when I was boxing, when I lived in Vegas. So, and it deals with, the main character is a boxer, current boxer, and he just got a really bad concussion. So, I think it was me trying to deal with those worries while I was boxing, knowing that it was probably terrible for me, but also just not giving a shit and doing it anyways and getting murdered by guys that were like 17 and 0 while I had no experience, or very little experience. But, I was an idiot. And, of that now you get to read or listen to the whole the other short story is i believe results guaranteed i think that's a shorter one i'm just going in line on these short stories so we'll burn through this whole audiobook i believe they're narrated by different people i'll put the notes down below anyhow going back to the negative start to the morning so i've been flying high yesterday especially was a really cool day we'll get into that i had an hour-long zoom call with someone from the small business development center Also, and I was connected to them through the U.S. Commercial Service. So I'm doing a lot of stuff for my business, which is great. Having support is awesome. Accepting it and saying, yeah, I could use your help. That's a really cool feeling too. The last couple days, I haven't been getting much creative stuff done. But the amount of business stuff I did was really good. Like, And it's something I never want to do. I realized over the last quarter, so for the three months prior to this, I there were several times where I let ads go where I just didn't schedule a book I was supposed to have it either free or discounted on Kindle and then I never did it or I might have done it but then I didn't do any ads and so there's a lot of that kind of stuff going on just because I'm so busy so overwhelmed plus and a depression and everything else so it's like I need to set all that shit up ahead of time it took me a while took me a couple of days but I set up the next. 20 books, all their different sale dates. When I'm running ads for the audiobook, running promos for these different ebooks, whether they're free or discounted and all that kind of stuff. So, all of that is done. Now, I just cruise. The other awesome thing that's been going on in the background is I have my email, my welcome series has now been fine tune instead of five emails, you now get 10. If you make it through all 10, then we're probably pretty cool. Then I'm probably, then we would probably like each other. But I also get a lot of people would not like me. And I also probably don't like a lot of people. So it's all good, man. We all have our, our things we like, don't like, people we get along with, people we wouldn't go along with. But let me just start by reading the review, which I've already shared on Twitter first thing in the morning. And on Facebook, and I left a person's name out, they don't need to see it, no, it's not important, and whatever, it's legitimate, but here is the review, all right, one star review, so that alone for an author sucks, because there's 22 other reviews, great rating, a one star drops it significantly, but and that was probably her intention, so the title is worried about his brain, but doesn't stop using drugs, hmm. All right. When I expressed interest in this book, as I have a relative with a brain injury, a friend who owns a bookstore and sells this author's books asked me to read it. I found the author honestly hard to like because even though he seems to worry about his brain function seemingly from his contact sports playing, he continued to do drugs. He does a lot of research on TBI and CT and science to look for. He goes through extensive and expensive testing and healing techniques, which he shares helps help him he also outlines what people who cannot afford to do to help their brains but honestly i couldn't get over how many doctors told him his cannabis use is affecting his brain function and he doesn't quit i couldn't take the there seriously well so no harsh feelings right whatever that's her opinion and it's legitimate she has <laughs> I will say she didn't closely read the book. She didn't read the book very well. She thinks that my doctor would tell me not to use cannabis. None of them told me not to use cannabis. They suggested that I take small breaks from it, which I do sometimes. Now I've taken long breaks, but all of them had told me what the benefits were. And there was, I do mention the negative, the Amon study that says, yeah, it's going to affect. Brain health negatively and lowering blood flow. Maybe it ages the brain in three years faster than other things. Alcohol, maybe about a year and a half. So that's one of the only studies out there really showing any connection, any damage. I say all the positives that it gives me, and then I list the negatives, and then I make a decision. But because I made a decision to use a drug, she gives it a one star review. So it doesn't feel fair. Even my all right, so my nine-year-old son, he's very smart, but he said, he's like, he's like, well, that doesn't seem fair at all. Like, what if you're using a pharmaceutical drug that has terrible side effects? That I was like, yeah. I said, if I had written that same chapter, chapter 10, or whatever it is, if I had said, I'm now using Zoloft, I'm now using whatever, I'm using these doctor-approved drugs, they have all these fucking terrible side effects, but I'm going to keep using them. I don't think she would put that same one-star review in saying that I was using drugs, although they're drugs. So whatever, man, definitely was upsetting, but I shared it. And I got a lot of good responses from it. That review is actually going to help me because people that are reading it with an open mind and be like, oh, wow, she lists all these positive things in it. Why you give him a one-star review? Oh, he because he uses weed. Oh, he uses cannabis. So, So thank you, unnamed reviewer anyhow yeah i'm pretty sad she's not gonna like me anymore or didn't ever like me but that's okay i have a thick skin that's what being an author or any kind of public figure will do to you you have to have a thick skin because yeah you're not going to get along with everyone and i'm 100 fine with that so moving on so i talked a little bit about business how great it's going, how positive I feel. A big part of that positivity is going back to Germany. Last time, I didn't really take advantage of it. It was also the first year back from the pandemic, so it weren't as many people. I didn't set up meetings ahead of time to meet with publishers and all of that. This time, I am doing it right. I'm excited. I'm able to go in there feeling really good. I mean, like, look, I have all this content. I believe it is good quality content. I think you guys will like it here it is so that's a pretty cool position to be in and only knowing that it's getting stronger with the release of wild west which is going to be coming out on march 28th so that'll be the kindle version i should have that up for pre-order on monday i hope monday or tuesday the paperback is probably going to be a little bit later sorry just dealing with a lot of shit. so we'll get that out there the following month we should be releasing Deathfest. luke finished with all the songs he did an incredible job luke thank you so much that's my buddy mccore's son mccore and emily yeah he did an incredible job doing these lyrics so the book is just about done just got to finalize some stuff with the editor and then we put that out also make the fake cd booklet that's gonna be pretty badass yeah so very excited about that and then on top of that fuck we got ghostland coming out ghostland will be out before i hit germany and that book is going to be sick. I just got back on Monday. I think Duncan sent me deaths one through 11 on Monday. Roughly that. Usually I feel like I'm the person that's able to up the other person's death scene. Sometimes my other authors don't care to write the death scenes or they'll write a little bit or whatever. And then I'll go in and I'll just make it even more gross or whatever else. So it was cool being on the other end of that with Duncan coming in, putting it in his character's voices and just making it super brutal. He may have even killed a baby. Fucking Duncan. But well done. I'm excited about it. I can't wait to see what we do with the rest of them. There are a couple of scenes that I'm not sure of yet. But man, these are... Yeah, this is going to be awesome. This is going to be an awesome book. Just as the other ones are. You no, know, Whatever I'm working on currently is what I'm super excited about. And I make that mistake all the time where... It's like, yeah, I already lost interest in the Wild West. It hasn't even come out yet. That's not good for a publisher. So I, I need to work on that. And the same thing with Death Fest, even though it's going to be fucking bitching. And it's, I'm, I was so pumped about it while I was writing it. Like right now, it's like, oh, well, just this other thing over there. And yeah, it's going to come out. And I'll be excited when it does, but I'm working on this. And then I'm going to work on that. And I'm going to work on that. And, you know, that is a... It's a cool thing to do as long as I have everything in motion to where you know I'm promoting things correctly, I'm doing all the business side of it as well. I'm not just simply just chucking content out there. I don't want to do that anymore. That's what I had been doing for a very long time with no real business plan, no real strategy. But that's all changing. And the nice thing is... It, it, is no big deal like i've just been building up this backlist so it's not like these books are no longer good because they're two years old or five years old or even 10 years old they're still selling there's people are still enjoying them and they can do that for a very long time so that shit is pretty bitchin i guess the last thing i will mention about why i'm in such a good mood is it goes back to germany the other day i was driving my daughter to school I told her, I said, hey, Lib, I said, I'm sorry, I didn't even invite you to Germany or didn't even talk about it. I said, it's going to be when you're in school, I think you'd be playing volleyball. You know, I just didn't think you'd even be interested. But I want you to know that I always want you, you know, to, to go on trips with me or, you know, or vacations or whatever they might be. I said, you're always invited. I said, I talk a lot about it with your brother because he's been learning German with me and he's talked about wanting to go to Germany. So I brought it up to him. I want to let you know that, of course, you're always invited. And then she said she would really like to go. And then I was kind of surprised, but we've been talking about it. And she said, yeah, that she would want to go. And which is that alone is super cool. That that made me happy. My wife found out and she's like, oh, awesome. You know, we'll, we'll all go because Jake wants to go, too. And I want to go. And so I went back and I told Liv, I said, hey, Liv, I said, look, we all want to go. She's like, no, I just I just want to go with you. And so she just wanted a a father-daughter trip to Germany, which is pretty cool. The fact that she even wants to do that, that made my day. Of course, I feel bad for my wife and son that she doesn't want to go with them too. But I get it. She just wants to do something special. It should be cool. You know, part of me is like, well, you're going to be probably bored because these are long days. And what do you want to do? But then she was asking about the meetings. And she's like, well, who will be in your booth when you do the meetings? and, And could I come along? I was like, yeah. And she's like, they won't mind if a kid... She's going to be 15, but she looks way older, and she's very mature, and just what a blast she's going to have looking at all these other books. She reads all the time. She loves reading. She's going to write, probably. I don't know what she'll do for a career. We're supposed to be writing a book together. Hopefully, we'll do that, but I know she's going to probably be some kind of artist or performer, musician, something like that, but that'll be really cool. That's making me really look forward to going back to Germany, so... Being able to go with her, again, not official, haven't bought the tickets yet, but she's saying she really would like to. All right, guys, I'm going to go on that little bit of positive news, trying to stay positive, trying not to get mad about reviews, any of that kind of stuff, just being chill, all thanks to cannabis. No, I did actually... You know what? I did use a, I had cannabis this morning for my yoga workout and lifting weights. It's kind of funny too, because my friend, he just finished doing a a really good set of, we were bench pressing today after the yoga and he got like a personal record. I was like, dude, that's only one star. You use cannabis, man. I was like, it doesn't fucking count. You only get one star for that, for that lift. So just having fun with it. Then I came home and I smoked some more cannabis. And that's not typical lately. I haven't been using very much, especially during the week. On the weekends, I tend to use more. i not necessarily because I need it or anything, but just like it. And again, my body, I will do what I like with it. That's how I think everyone should live their life, not based off of whatever someone says is wrong or right for you. Like, make your own decisions. We're all adults here. So if you're an adult, I'm talking to adults. If you're a little kid that's watching this, listen to your parents. All right, guys, I'm out of here. So, not only one story. But two, these are both off of Untold Mayhem. Hopefully, you guys enjoy this. This is results guaranteed. I believe that's what it's called. Been a long time since I looked, and I don't feel like getting the book from up there. And the whole. Yeah, I remembered it. All right, guys. I'm out of here. Have an incredible week, and I will talk to you later. Peace.
0: Results Guaranteed The chemistry lab was empty. Friday classes cancelled, thanks to the memorial service for Ted and the rest of the guys. Peter locked the door, set the half-empty energy drink on his desk, and powered up his outdated computer, which was nothing like the new models they had in the athletic department. Peter kept his desk spotless, everything in its place all the angles nice and even. The only thing off this morning was the yellow sticky note resting on his mouse pad. Taped to the middle of the paper was a small sewing pin with the professor's chicken scratch circled around it. The pin is mightier than the sword. The professor left weekly challenges for Peter and Suki as a fun way to get his research assistants thinking outside the box, but with two dozen dead students about to be buried, trying to figure out a word puzzle was a hundred rungs down Peter's ladder. Still, Peter's mind couldn't help playing with the words, rearranging them, wondering what the circle meant. He set his brown leather messenger bag on top of the note, out of sight, out of mind. With no need to check emails, Peter inserted his flash drive and opened the Hex-80 file. He knew the protocol by heart, but scanning the document lifted his spirits. What had started as a disappointing insecticide now had incredible potential, largely because of the unconventional thinking the professor encouraged. Any scientist would say the results were amazing, but Peter understood they had to be duplicated before he could shop for a buyer. The front section of his upper desk drawer was lined with blue, black, and red pens, with two silver sharpies at the edge. At the back was the box of chemical-resistant rubber gloves, size small because Peter hadn't grown much since junior high. Peter slipped on his lab coat, goggles, then the gloves, took a dozen flyers and a nylon rope from his bag. After one last look at the screen, he downed the rest of the blast off and tossed it in the trash can. Here we go. The safety shower took up the far corner of the lab. Peter pulled up a metal stand outside the shower and set the papers on it, strung the rope back and forth across the top of the shower several times. All the supplies were under the counter against the side wall. He filled a tray with 2,000 milliliters of solvent and added the exact amount of each chemical. No need to alter a winning combination. Careful not to spill... Peter brought the tray to the stand with the flyers on it, twelve two-inch-long slits cut into the bottom of each piece. He took the first flyer and lowered it in the solution, held it under for a ten-count before pinning it to the makeshift clothesline, repeating the process eleven more times. Peter peeled off his gloves and tossed them into the chemical waste container, dried his fingers on a paper towel, Usually his hands didn't sweat so much, but he chalked it up to nervousness. So much was riding on this product. The flyers needed 15 minutes for the last traces of solvent to evaporate. Peter took off his coat and goggles, returned to his computer, and searched for the latest on the deaths. The police still had no clue how a quarter of the university's football team, as well as three other students mysteriously died during the 18-hour period between Tuesday night and Wednesday afternoon. There were no signs of foul play, but the police were investigating the possibility of poisoning, maybe a certain type of nutritional supplement. When it was pointed out that three non-players also died, police responded that all three were well-built athletic young men who perhaps used the same unknown product. They wouldn't know for sure, until the toxicology reports were back on Monday. Peter closed the article, confident the tests would show absolutely nothing. No poisoned protein bars would be found in their intestines. They wouldn't find the slightest traces of any foreign chemicals. Everything would appear normal. What did come as a surprise to Peter was that the police had failed to come up with any clues. He hadn't expected the campus police to make the connection, but the state investigators should have by now. Thorough searches should have revealed each stiff had a small slip of ripped paper with a telephone number on it, the kind of slip that people tore off the bottom of flyers, slips that promised things too good to be true, like gaining ten pounds of muscle in two weeks. Peter wiped his forehead, jumped in his seat when the door clicked and pushed open. Professor Garville, what are you doing here? Grey-haired Garvel looked so different in jeans and a t-shirt. He closed the door and said, I got an alert that someone was in the lab. I thought you and Suki would be at the service. Peter hadn't realized the lab was monitored, but wasn't concerned. Thought I'd get in some extra work. Garvel checked his watch. You are attending it, aren't you? You can make it if you hurry. Peter prayed Garvel didn't look to his left. Hoping the professor would leave if Peter got emotional, he shook his head. Trying to sound sad, he said, I just can't. I've always struggled with death. Garvel walked over, set his hand on Peter's shoulder, his first ever display of affection. Isn't your roommate one of the deceased? Yeah, afraid so. Peter turned off his screen and wiped his forehead, wishing he'd turned on the AC. Ted, great guy. Garvel said, I'm so sorry. He gave Peter's shoulder a squeeze and sat down at Suki's desk, swiveled the chair so it faced Peter. I'm all ears if you care to talk. Figuring Garvel had dealt with his own bullies, Peter said, he wasn't like the other jocks it's a shame he had to die the whole thing is just awful garvel studied peter and said you sure you don't want to go i can clean up in here tell you the truth i'm not feeling so good and honestly half the school is going to be there no one's going to miss me you don't look good did you go out last night peter had a difficult time swallowing his spit i don't drink Garvel nodded and got up, walked straight for the safety shower. So, what are you working on? Is this the hexicar? Don't touch them! The professor pulled back his hand like it had been slapped, looked at Peter for an explanation. I'm sorry, I just can't mess those up. Garvel turned back to the shower, stepped to the side so he could read the big print at the top of each flyer. Results guaranteed. Peter tried to stand, then thought better of it, afraid he might faint. He shouldn't have had the energy drink on an empty stomach. The professor returned to Suki's chair. Hope those flyers aren't for something you're selling. Peter wanted to say no, but found it difficult to speak, and simply shook his head. That's good. A claim like that would be sure to bring lawsuits not to mention the FDA pounding down your door. A shiver ripped through Peter. He tried to cover it by hugging himself and asking, You cold? Garvel shook his head. Staring in Peter's saucer-sized eyes, he said, No, not like you. I should go. By all means, Garvel said, motioning toward the door, what should I do with your flyers? Peter swallowed a mouthful of spit, his throat making him wince. I'll get them. Twelve's a lot. You really need that many? For a friend. Peter pulled the flash drive and put it in his bag, his fingers and forearms slick with sweat. The info's still on there, Garvell said, pointing at the computer. I'm guessing you forgot all sessions are recorded. Remember, your work is owned by the university. Fuck, that was one calculation Peter had screwed up. He rubbed his eyes, but when he opened them, the professor was back at the shower. Garvel moved his finger as he counted. Twelve slips at the bottom of each flyer. One forty-four. Garvel nodded, and almost to himself said, Makes sense you'd want a square. Peter closed and opened his eyes again, disappointed it didn't fix his vision. Everything was blurry, the outer edges too bright. It's a friend's. Garvel mumbled as he read the page. He smiled when he finished. Well done, Peter. At least this time you didn't have to lie. I feel really sick, Peter said, laying his head on the desk. Lose unwanted weight fast. Results guaranteed. Garvel sat down on the corner of Peter's desk. Sounding like he really wanted to know, he said, I get why you hated the jocks, but what have you got against fat people? A dull thrum picked up speed in the back of Peter's head. Help. First you've got to tell me if you figured out today's challenge. The messenger bag fell to the ground as Peter fumbled for the sticky piece of paper. He shrieked when the sewing pin pierced his palm. Holding the note an inch from his face, he said, My fingers were wet. Good, good, Garvel said, cheering on his student. Now you're thinking. Peter threw open his drawer, pulled out the box of gloves, and, Tears ran down his cheeks, his fingers trembling as they examined the gloves for pinpricks. Why? The dictators I'll be offering your formula to will feel safer if I don't have a partner. Plus, it's going to make me a fortune, and I'd rather not share.
2: The Hole It was not in the evening when we got the keys to our new home. I was exhausted from sparring, and we weren't moving in for another month, but Haley said she just had to see it. Haley ran around the first floor and bounded up the staircase, calling for me to follow. I nearly told her I was too tired and that she should hurry up, but her beautiful brown eyes were shimmering with excitement. After verifying the upstairs rooms were exactly as they'd been at the final walkthrough five days before, I persuaded her to go downstairs. I was halfway out the door when Haley opened the closet and peered inside. Tony? What's that hole doing there? I tried to hide my impatience. I'd mentioned the hole to her during the walkthrough. Don't worry about it. Haley pouted. You're mad at me. No, just hungry and tired. She closed the closet and said, sorry, it just doesn't look like it should be there. Do you know what it's for? I had no idea why the jagged edge two foot by two foot hole was carved into the back wall of the closet. I figured the previous owner must have done it because it didn't look like the work of a professional. It was more like the handiwork of a drunken, chainsaw-wielding midget or an animal that clawed its way through. Haley thought I knew everything about everything, but I didn't know the first thing concerning a house. Electrical, mechanical, all that stuff was foreign to me. I knew how to knock people out and how to break things, not fix them. Knowing that I shouldn't, I matter-of-factly told her, the agent said that's how the bloodthirsty beast that lives under the house gets out. Haley slapped my shoulder. Why'd you say that? She whined. I'm never going to sleep here by myself. You're such a jerk sometimes. Relax, babe. I was just joking around. Well, it's not funny. Yeah, it is. Look, there was no monster living under the house. It was obviously a joke. Don't patronize me. I'm not a child. Then think like an adult, I said, my impatience getting the best of me. There's nothing to be afraid of. I know, but you shouldn't have said that. Last time you scared me, I almost wet myself. I laughed but stopped when she teared up. I hugged her and said, I really am sorry, babe. I'll cover up the hole and you'll never have to worry about it again. Haley settled down. I don't like being by myself, especially in a big house like this. Plus, you're always out of town for your fights. She wiped a bead of perspiration off my forehead. Why are you sweating so much? It's too damn hot in here. I set the AC for 68 degrees but haven't felt anything coming out of the vents. Remind me to call about it if it's not working tomorrow. And yet another expense. Nah, the home warranty will cover it. You ready to go? I'll turn off the lights. I said moving toward the kitchen before she objected. I was turning off the kitchen lights when the front door opened and closed. A noise came from the other room. I crept toward the hallway, knowing it had to be Haley hoping to scare me. I paused at the refrigerator when a muffled shuffle came from around the corner. I leapt into the hallway and yelled, No one was there. The hallway was empty. I felt foolish standing there with my arms above my head like an enraged bear. I was extra sensitive to the verbal slip-ups, tongue twisters, and slurred speech I'd been experiencing, and didn't want to even consider I might have imagined it. That's probably why it was so easy for me to write it off as being a new house noise that I had to adjust to. We moved into the house four weeks later with our motley crew of fur babies. Duke, our 13-year-old deaf-and-dying golden retriever, Rollo, our obscenely obese cat, and his skinny sister, Hoppity, who was missing her right rear leg. Tired from a long day of moving, but wanting to start off our life in the house right, I turned off the lights and carried Haley up the stairs and laid her on the bed. I thought Haley was going to kiss me, but out of nowhere, she asked, "'You covered up that hole, right?' "'What hole?' "'The one in the downstairs closet.' When I hesitated, she said, Tony, you promised. It'll be fine. Haley sat up. What does that mean? Did you cover it or not? I rolled over and turned my back to her. What it means is I'm really freaking tired and it doesn't need to be covered right now. You promised. I got out of bed. Why can't you just let it go? Is it too much to ask to enjoy the night? Forget it then. Do it tomorrow. I mumbled. No, I promised. I'm up now anyway. I left the room and stood in the dark hallway. I couldn't find the light switch and yelled, Where's the goddamn flashlight? Next to the fridge, she snapped. I headed down the stairs, one hand on the handrail, the other dragging against the wall. At the bottom, I reached out for the light switch on the wall in front of me. A loud, piercing shriek sliced through the silence. I jerked my foot back and fell to the floor. I grabbed my right wrist that was already throbbing. Goddamn cat! The bedroom light flashed on and Haley appeared in the doorway. What happened? Are you okay? I got up and headed for the kitchen to get an ice pack. I better be. That could have been my career. The next day, Haley worked at the animal hospital until seven, and I spent time at the physical therapist's rehabilitating my wrist and doing some light conditioning. When she got home, I turned up the television. I didn't want her asking about the hole, which I'd only covered with a piece of cardboard. Neither one of us said a word until after dinner when Haley asked, Mind if I turn the air back on? It's on. Care if I turn the thermostat down then? It's hot in here. I was in the recliner, wearing nothing but my boxers and wrist brace. I feel fine. I didn't ask how you felt. Haley stormed up the stairs. She returned a minute later and stood in front of the television. Having it set at 85 isn't exactly what I would describe as having the air on. I set it at 76 before I left for rehab. Are you sure you read it right? It's digital. I guess I didn't set it for 76. I said hoping she would believe my lie. I was positive I had. Saturdays were usually spent sparring, but since I couldn't train, I told Haley I was hers for the day. We did lunch at Haley's favorite restaurant, took in a chick flick, got her a new purse, and finished it with dinner at In-N-Out. When we got home, it was time to feed the kids. The second the can opener started to buzz, Hoppity came sliding in, rubbing against Haley's calves, meowing for her to hurry. Rollo, however, was nowhere to be seen. The 20-pound cat never missed a meal. Haley dished the food onto a paper plate, and I scouted the house, calling for Fat Cat. He wasn't downstairs, wasn't in the guest rooms, the office, or the bedroom. I changed into boxers and headed back for the stairs. When I passed the thermostat, the air conditioner was turned off and the temperature was 84 degrees. I switched it back on and set it for 68. I joined Haley, who was relaxing on the couch, and asked her, did Rolo come out? Nope. He wasn't upstairs? I didn't see him. Maybe he's in the garage. I doubt it. I don't think he can make it through that kitty door. We both laughed at the thought of our obese cat sticking halfway through the swinging door. I asked, by the way, did you happen to turn off the air before we left? No. Wasn't it on? I shook my head. I'm going to call that repair guy out here again. That's two days in a row the thing screwed up. What do you think's wrong with it? I had no idea, but I was a macho idiot that didn't want my wife to know that. Before realizing what a mistake I was making, I blurted out, maybe the little monster under the house prefers the heat. Damn it, Tony. She leapt off the couch and headed upstairs. I told you not to say stuff like that. That night, I had trouble sleeping because of the pain in my wrist. I woke around, two to a noise downstairs. I listened carefully, but all I could hear was Hoppity, who was curled up against my head, purring loudly. I placed her by my feet and recognized the familiar sound of nails tapping on the tiled floor below. I was drifting back to sleep when a terrifying thought got me out of bed. It hadn't been Duke downstairs. He had to stay upstairs with us, locked in the master bathroom by a baby gate because of his bladder problem. The gate was still up, and Duke was spread out on the shower floor. At the doorway, I peered into the darkness, straining to hear anything out of the ordinary. There was complete silence, not even the air conditioner blasting air through the vents. I flipped on the hallway lights and checked the thermostat. The temperature setting had somehow leapt from 65 to 85, but the current temperature was 67. The settings had changed in the past couple of minutes, right about the time I had heard the noise. After resetting the thermostat to 70 degrees, I forced myself to check the house. A 200-pound professional athlete spooked by a strange noise and screwy central air system. I'd seen clips of cats and dogs turning doorknobs, hitting light switches, and even flipping on televisions. Rolo had slept on the table the day we moved in. It wasn't difficult to picture him stretching up and placing a paw on one of the touchpads that adjusted the temperature. But to turn off the AC, Rolla would have had to pull the lower part of the casing down and then push the switch to the right. Not even the most talented cat in the world could pull that off. I understood that the switch had to be manipulated by someone or something. I picked up the table beneath it and set it in the office before going back to bed. When I woke the next morning, Haley was already at church. I ate my breakfast downstairs and noticed the house was uncomfortably warm. I set my half-eaten bowl of oatmeal on top of the refrigerator so the cats wouldn't get into it and headed upstairs. The air conditioner was off and the current temperature was 84 degrees. The table, back underneath. Haley must have not cared for my redecorating. I set the air for 70 and went down to finish breakfast. With nothing else to do, I went into the garage and gathered a few small pieces of plywood, a hammer and some nails. I hated my hesitation standing outside the closet. I stepped inside the closet and found myself standing on the piece of cardboard I had covered the hole with. The suction from the door opening must have pulled the cardboard from the wall. There was still no sign of Rolo. So I got a can of cat food, peeled back the lid, and called for him. Confident he wasn't in the walls of the house, I banged the nails into the plywood. Twenty minutes later, Haley came home, The scowl on her face telling me that the sermon was not about forgiveness. From my spot on the couch, I asked, How was church? She set her purse on the dining room table and didn't say a word. Look, I'm really sorry about last night. Can't we just forget about that? No, we can't just forget about it. Don't you see? I can't forget about it. Why do you think I tell you not to joke about these sorts of things? It's because I can't get the thoughts out of my head once they're in there. Do you know what I dreamt about last night? I'll give you one guess. I'm sorry. All I could think about was this tiny little demon that lives under the house and comes out at night when we sleep. I know it's silly and irrational, but I could barely sleep, and now I feel lousy. I didn't mean for that to happen. This is our first home, and we're supposed to be enjoying it. And you shouldn't feel stupid for thinking about my joke. I freaked myself out, too. She shook her head. You scared yourself? Sort of. A little, I guess. Don't tell my friends, I said with a smile. I even nailed the hole up while you were gone. (sighs) That's nice to know, but you were supposed to have done that a couple of days ago. By the way, did you happen to move that table under the thermostat this morning? Haley gave me a strange look. From where? You didn't touch it? Haley walked into the kitchen. No, why? Is something wrong with it? She shouted. Maybe our little friend under the house moved it. I didn't detect any malice in her voice, but I wish I could have seen her face. At first, I thought she was trying to make peace and show me she could take a joke. But then everything started to make sense. Haley had been paying me back since the day we moved in, playing a sick practical joke on me. She was changing the thermostat settings to get me worked up, and now moving the table to really get me going. I felt like a fool for covering up the hole and admitting I was freaked out. I waited for her to come back and laugh at me, but she didn't. Maybe she was planning on taking it further and making me look even more stupid. I didn't care because I would be ready for it. That night, I slept incredibly well. Except for the dream with clicking on the floor downstairs, it was the best sleep I had had all week. After Haley left for work in the morning, I checked the closet. At first glance, everything looked normal, except the plywood looked loose. The top corners of the board pulled right out from the wall like someone had removed it and then carefully put it back in. I pushed the board back against the wall, thinking either I had seriously underestimated Haley's practical joking skills, or I was going completely insane. That night in my sparring session, I took a tremendous left hook to my temple that put me on the canvas. My third concussion in a month. Even after resting at the gym for an hour, the intense pounding in my head made it hard for me to think, and I had a difficult time driving home. Haley saw I was in serious pain and helped me up the stairs and into bed, where I quickly fell asleep. A loud thud woke me from my sleep at 3. I asked Haley if she'd heard something, but she didn't answer. I reached out for her, but she wasn't there. I sat up, ignoring my pounding head, and looked around the room. Duke lay in the shower, and Hoppity was curled between my legs, but Haley was nowhere to be seen. I rolled over to Haley's side and pulled out the 12-inch designer knife from under the mattress. Something scampered down the stairs. I rushed into the hallway, hurried down the stairs in time to see something at the bottom turn the corner toward the kitchen. It was too dark to make out, but it looked too big to be Rolo. My head thudded like it was ready to crack, but I didn't let it slow me down. A door slammed shut. A second later, I flipped on the downstairs hallway light and ripped open the closet door. The closet was empty, the loose plywood lying on the floor. Maybe Haley had placed it like that on purpose, but even if she had, what did I see running down the stairs? I heard it too. It couldn't be a hallucination brought on by my head trauma. It was real. My head hurt so bad I could barely stand. I backed out of there and sat in the hallway, propped against the door. I set the knife down and called Haley's name. No response, the entire house silent. I wanted to get up and look for her, but I couldn't move. Part of me was too afraid to leave the door unguarded and the other part thought Haley could be hiding nearby, waiting to jump out and laugh at my cowardice. The rumble of the garage door got me to my feet, amplifying the pressure in my head. I staggered into the garage and wiped the tears from my eyes. Haley stepped out of her Nissan. She was in her work scrubs, which didn't make sense considering the time. I asked, Where were you? I was worried sick. Dr. Lawson called a one for an emergency C-section. You didn't hear the phone and I didn't want to wake you, so I left a note on your nightstand. We headed inside, where I wiggled in front of Haley to block her view of the knife on the ground. Haley headed upstairs, pausing at the top. She continued towards the bedroom and said, I hope you plan on cleaning that up in the morning. I trudged upstairs and saw that the potted plant that normally sat on the table beneath the thermostat lay shattered on the ground. Dirt scattered all over the carpet, the thud that woke me. I scooped up as much dirt as possible, then got into bed with Haley and listened to her play-by-play of the Doberman's surgery. I finally broke away by saying I was thirsty and wanted to get a glass of water. Being thirsty was a lie, but I needed to retrieve the knife. It was proof of how scared I was when she was gone. She'd love that one. When I got downstairs, the knife wasn't in front of the closet. Hadn't been kicked into the kitchen. It was nowhere to be seen, and Haley hadn't left my sight since she came home. Combined with the headache, it was all too much to handle. I went upstairs and made sure Duke and Hoppity were both in the bedroom. As quietly as I could, I locked the door and climbed into bed. When I woke at 10 o'clock, my headache wasn't as severe, but it still hurt. I rolled over to ask Haley for some aspirin, but she wasn't in the bed or the room. There was something on her nightstand, though. The knife. Haley must have found it. I went downstairs to ask her and found a note stating she was at work. I called her work and got only coldness when she asked, What do you want? I was just calling to see what time you were coming home. I was surprised you had to go in so early. Look, Tony, I'm really busy and can't talk right now. I'll be home by five. She hung up before I had a chance to ask her about the knife. I considered calling her back, but figured I'd better not. Besides, she must have put it back. One of the animals had probably pushed the knife into the kitchen, and Haley had found it. I'd had enough of the hole, even if it was just my imagination. It was time to seal it up for good. I locked Hoppity and Duke in the bedroom then went into the closet to check one last time for Rollo, who had now been missing for nearly three days. It was hard to see anything, but the flashlight reflected off something in the far corner. I thought it resembled the small bell from Rollo's collar, but the eye strain brought back my headache and blurred my vision. After calling one last time for Rollo, I bricked up the hole and nailed a bedsheet over it to cover my less than perfect work. Haley would question why I resorted to such an extreme measure, and the last thing I needed was for her to complain about its appearance. Finally, I installed a sturdy padlock to ensure the door couldn't be opened from the inside or outside without the key. Haley wouldn't like the looks of the new addition, but I'd worry about that later. I walked around the outside of the house, searching for vents or openings to the crawl space beneath the house. There weren't any in the backyard, so I headed to the front and heard my name being called. My neighbor across the street waved. I walked over and shook his hand. How are you doing, sir? I'm great. You are Tony the Destroyer of DeMonte, aren't you? I was just on the verge of becoming famous, and it was still a surprise when people recognized me. I said, guilty as charged. It's a pleasure to meet you. I just saw you tear apart Johnson in May. Let me tell you, you're going to be one hell of a boxer. Thank you, Mr. Oh, it's Warner. But please, call me Jack. Well, Jack, it's nice meeting you. You're the first neighbor I've met since we moved in. Jack's smile faded. You live there? Yeah, my wife and I bought it about a month ago, but we just moved in this week. We got a great deal in the place. So, Jack hesitated. How do you guys like living there? To tell you the truth, I really don't care for it all that much. I like the neighborhood, but not the house. Jack seemed uneasy. He said, it's getting pretty hot out here. Why don't you come on in and have something cold to drink? We can talk more. I followed him into his house. When I walked out an hour later, I was quite shaken up. I wondered if it was possible Haley had convinced this nice old man to get in on the practical joke and help scare me. Despite having strong reservations, Jack told me about the bad luck that had plagued the four families who had lived there in the past five years. I listened to the stories of runaway pets, abducted children, and spouses that picked up and left without notice. In such a hurry, they left all their belongings behind. One or two of the stories happening would have been understandable, but how could so much misfortune happen in one place? I didn't believe in the supernatural, but I did believe in statistics. Something was wrong with that house and we were moving out of it, regardless of the financial loss. Maybe we'd even be able to sue the broker for keeping the house's history from us. My real estate agent's number was on the fridge, I grabbed my cell and was about to call her when I noticed the missed call and voicemail notification. I wiped the sweat off my forehead and retrieved the message. It was Haley. Hi, honey, just calling to say sorry about earlier. I didn't mean to be so rude. I'm just tired. Promise I'll make it up to you later. I'm taking off now, so I'll see you in 20 minutes. Love you, babe. The timestamp revealed that she'd called just minutes after I stepped outside. I ran to the garage and saw Haley's car. She wasn't on the lower level, so I headed upstairs. I glanced at the thermostat that was set for 90 degrees, the highest setting. I sprinted downstairs and tried to pull open the closet, forgetting I had locked it. I pulled the padlock key from my pocket and fumbled with the lock, ripped the bed sheet off the wall. Everything was exactly as I had left it. Maybe Haley had gone for a walk or was tanning in the backyard. She'd barely left the house except to work or shop, but neither had I before today. Maybe this was part of her joke. I splashed water on my face in the bathroom and peered into the mirror, unsurprised that I looked as awful as i had felt. If I was going mad, would I be sane enough to realize it? Something caught my eye in the lower corner of the mirror. I spun around and collapsed to the floor, in front of the dark hole that had been freshly carved into the wall. My lawyer said that when the police found me, I was balled up on the bathroom floor, wailing like a newborn baby. The drops of Haley's blood on the floor and the bloodstains that they formed on my jeans weren't enough to convict me of my wife's murder. Her bare bones, which they found neatly piled behind the brick wall I had built, were, however. A lot of people say I should have gotten the death penalty. I agree with them. That would have been the humane thing to do. But they won't give me the injection because of my mental state. That evil little bastard got me good. Not only did it kill my wife, it pinned it on me. It made it so I have to replay it over and over again for the rest of my life in this nut house."